again, good morning. You can go ahead and find your seats. Norm Metzler, Norm Metzler, why don't you find your way up front? Um, if you uh, if you don't know this yet, it, you know it looks a little different out in the uh, fellowship room there. Today is our ministry fair. We're excited about that. Go ahead and give a hand for that because there is a lot of people. There's a lot of people that did a lot of work for all those booths. Um, I found that uh, I thought I was intelligent using technology for the tech booth. And then I see the, the, like, all the women's ministry stuff, and I'm like, oh, you got, y'all would just outdo everyone else. It was really good. So good job on that, and you guys will enjoy that after the service. But I'm going to have Norm Metzler come up, and he's going to uh, do a little membership announcement for us. So give him a hand. Well, good morning. I just want to announce uh, Linda Piper. Uh, Raleigh Clarkson and I met with Linda just a few weeks ago. She has an incredible story of how she came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, and he turned her life around, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, so we just want to announce her this morning as a new member of Cornerstone Community Church, and you guys take a moment to when you see her, shake her hand and welcome her. So God bless you. I just want to say a quick prayer. Father, I just thank you for every member that uh, comes into your family, a member of Christ's church. Thank you that you are the head of the church and that you love us and you gave your son for us, dear Father. We pray for your blessing to Linda as she as part of this body that uh, meets here in this great building. We pray for your blessing to her and her family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Norm. Give him a hand. One quick announcement. Uh, Jackie Gardner is still collecting money. This is the last day to collect money if you, you want to contribute to a gift uh, for Megan Gray's uh, wedding shower. Okay? Um, I'm going to uh, reveal to you at this point the, the vote for the new name. I'll just say this. Uh, this vote, uh, it was, it was uh, the leader was well ahead. Um, and I want to say a few things before I reveal this to you. That not everybody voted for it, but most people did. Um, and so when we're thinking about a name, a couple things to, to keep in mind. When you hear this and you didn't vote for it, your first reaction may be to complain. Don't do that, okay? God is very specific. He does not like complaining. Because all that's going to do is, uh, is hinder you from coming along with where we're going. And uh, second thing is, uh, does it really matter what our name is? Because our name does not determine what we do as a church. Our, our mission is still leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? And, when, and I am excited big time about this new name because, man, we are going to move forward as one church and, and we're, not on, we're not on Cornerstone, we're not on Olivet, and we're not on, uh, you thought it was coming, but we're not on that. We're on God's team, okay? So we're going to move forward with the following name. I don't have any drums this morning, so everybody give me a drum roll on your, on your leg or on the seat ahead of you. And, oh, keep going. That's it. You need to learn. When you see this, that's the cutoff. So keep going. Give me a good drum roll. Creekside Church. All right, but let me remind you, as we move forward, we are going to have, on September 8th, on September 8th, we are going to have an official, that's going to be our first day of our, 
uh, our community series. After our John series, we're going to do a series on community. And on September 8th, the name will have changed everywhere, okay? But get used to calling yourselves Creekside Church from this point on. Um, next Sunday, right after the service, we're going to have a quick corporate meeting just with everybody that's here. Um, and uh, Cornerstone will open and close it, and then it'll be officially changed. Um, but you also, until we tell you to change the name on your checks, continue to write them to Cornerstone, because until it's legally changed, Mike won't be able to cash those checks. So, um, so anyway, Creekside Church, call yourselves that from now on. Um, that's awesome. We're excited. So why don't everybody go ahead and stand up as we sing this next song. God, I just pray that you would speak to us through Austin this morning. I pray that you would uh, just speak through him, that he would be listening to you as he speaks to us. God, thank you for the time he's put into this. I pray that you would change us with your word. God, we want to serve like Jesus served. Uh, we love you and we need you and we worship you as King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Amen. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Austin Temperley, uh, my wife, Sarah, and we have four children, Jack, Lydia, Holly, and Bethany. Jack will be seven next week. Lydia is turning five today. And yeah, exciting, exciting. And uh, Bethany is my resident three-year-old, and uh, Holly, or Holly is my resident three-year-old, and Bethany is my resident two-year-old who is out of diapers, and we could not be more excited and thrilled for that. So there is never a dull moment in the temporary home. I've been a part of Cornerstone for just a little over a year, so I just wanted to share a little bit of my background and who I am. I want to say thank you for all the prayers that were lifted up uh, this past week. My grandfather passed away uh, Monday evening, and the funeral was held on Friday. And it's, it's, it's a tough time. It's, it's a tough time when, when you face the reality of the finiteness of this, of this life. You know, and I, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, funerals and baptisms are, are, are kind of, they're, they're very interesting because at both events, you, you tend to introspect. You tend to think about the deeper meanings of life and the purpose of life. At a funeral, it's the finiteness of your life here on this, on this earth. But it, you can't walk away from a funeral and not think about, wow, there's a completion on this earth of our time that we have. And the thing about baptisms, on the, on the flip side, is it's a time of introspection as well. You see that person who has professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and they come out of the, they go down into the water, and they come out, and they've made that profession of faith, and you think, wow, God, what are you doing in my life now as a result of that? And so I was, it was a, it was a hard funeral. It was a hard funeral, um, I, I, I will be honest, but I thank you for the prayers, and I, I coveted those, and, and my family greatly appreciates those prayers that were offered up, so thank you very much for doing that. If you have your scriptures, if you would turn to John chapter 13, we're going to look at the first 17 verses of chapter 13, and if you're just joining us for today, we've kind of, we've been in a study uh, all summer long over the book of, of John, and we started our study actually by looking at one of the last verses in the entire book of John, John 20, verse 31, where he says, I write these things so you, that you may know and that you may believe and, and have eternal life. And so I want us to understand the importance of 
reading into every word that you find in the book of John because he tells us that if you understand these words and they're written so that you may have eternal life. And as we draw near to the end of our study, I hope that you've been able to see that these words were written so that you may have eternal life and be reconciled to the God of the universe. And just to set the context of John 13, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. If you go through the first 12 chapters of the book of John, you'll see that the first 12 chapters, Jesus spent a lot of time with non-believers. In the first 12 chapters, he spent a lot of time ministering to people who mocked him, who hated him, who spat upon him, who picked up stones and wanted to stone him while he narrowly escaped. But from here on out, in chapters 13 through 17, we see the upper room discourse. We see Jesus meeting with his closest associates, his his disciples, and he's going to teach them some amazing and incredible principles that are going to have to last while he leaves and goes back to the Father. So if you were paying attention to the first 12 chapters, I would, I would entrust and I would encourage you to spend even more time focusing and meditating on these next couple of chapters in the book of John, because now he is speaking intimately and dearly to his most beloved. And chapters 13 through 17 are some of the most loved scriptures in the New Testament. So let's read the text. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your great love, that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, your only begotten son, to die in our stead so that we may have life and have it abundantly. And Father, we pray that 
our thoughts would hang on these words and that we would understand these words and we would be discerning and we would be disciples and that we would be followers and we would listen to them and that we would do them. And Father, may you be honored and glorified through these next minutes in our lives as we leave this place and walk to carry out your principles that you've established for us. In your son's name, amen. Amen. These next couple of chapters are really going to be the rubber hitting the road. This is what it's all about. If you want to see a man's character, if you want to see a man's devotion, if you want to see what was on Jesus' mind right before he was going to accomplish the fulfillment of the law, then hang on to these words that we're going to see here. There's a couple of points that I want to drive home today with us. And the first one is this. Jesus shows us a great picture of agape love. He knew the hour was coming, that he was going to leave. If you look at the text in verse 1, Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him, he loved them to the end. He knew that the hour was coming. I can't imagine what that must have been like, knowing that the weight of the world was just about to be on his shoulders. And he was not thinking about himself, but he was thinking about his followers. He was thinking about those who had left everything to follow him. From a man who had the weight, literally had the weight and the penalty of sin on his shoulders. And he found himself thinking, how can I teach? How can I give these disciples what they need to be successful as I go? Jesus had to be torn in this moment. He knew that he had great love for his followers. I don't know if Jesus knew that his followers would fulfill everything that he wanted to accomplish perfectly. I mean, they were fallible humans after all. Peter was, he knew that Peter was about to deny him three times before the cock crowed. What would that early church look like? But Jesus was taking his last moments on this earth and pouring in and investing into the lives of others. And so who were his own? Well, John 17, 20 gives us a good picture of who his own were. Sure, it was those 12. It was those that were in the upper room. Sure, he loved them. And it was the followers of, of Christ up until that point. And yet it was going to be those who would believe at Pentecost. It was going to be those who would continue to believe throughout the first century. And it is going to be those who are going to love him and bow their knee to his authority until he returns at his second coming. What a love that this man, fully man yet fully God, had for his creation The beautiful piece of this is that he loved them to the end, all the way through to completion. It's funny how other religions want to say that, no, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Nope, he really didn't do that. There are other mainstream religions out there today that millions of people believe in that say, by the way, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He made it look like he died on the cross, but they sent a substitute in his place 
to die on the cross. So it really wasn't Jesus. Really? Really? That's what you believe? You really want to believe that this man who taught and preached and healed and showed people their shortcomings and their sins and renewed their hope and gave them life and gave them life abundantly decided, nope, it's not worth it. And if that's the case, then those religions who say then, those same religions who say that Jesus was a great teacher are so duped by the lies of Satan. Because if Jesus didn't do what he said through to completion, then boy, what a liar. What a liar he was. But he loved them till the end. And it's very clear in this passage that he says that he loved them to the end. And because of this great love, because of the cross, this is where we have forgiveness. The Bible's pretty clear. If you've ever read the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, there is no other name given by men whereby we must be saved. He loved them through to completion. We ought to magnify and exalt his name. We ought to tell of his great fame. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, about how we can exalt and magnify his name so that others may see and want to glorify him as a result. He did it, not us. He did it, not us. It's not by the good things that we have done, but it's by what he did at the finished work of the cross that I can even be reconciled to my God. What a love that Jesus had. Ephesians 3 tells us that we should attempt to understand the love that he has for us. There's no way you and I can exhaust his love that he has for us. There's no way we can completely understand the love that God has for us. But we are supposed to attempt anyway to understand how deep is that love that he has for us. Not only those who were present with him in the upper room, but those who would continue to believe throughout the times that he has given us until he returns. Well, when we look at the text, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing that one of those 12 who walked with him for so many years would be willing to do what he did. And we all know Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, and what he did, right? For 30 pieces of silver, that's what Jesus meant to Judas. 30 pieces of silver, and he was willing to do what he did. And yet, he didn't kick Judas out of the room. He knew that Satan had already come upon Judas, and he already knew Judas was going to do what he was going to do. And yet, Jesus still continued to teach those that were there. Satan had already entered Judas, and he knew what was going to happen. But he still continued to teach. Judas's heart was so hardened against the Lord, and yet it didn't detract what Jesus needed most to do for his followers. So we know what Judas was thinking. What, what, what was God thinking? You know, Jesus's love is so immense that he died for the Judases of the world. The Bible's pretty clear that says that while we were still in sin, that Christ died for us. The Bible's pretty clear that while we were his enemies, he died for us. And that's what he did because of his unfailing love that he has for his creatures. We don't deserve it. But he did it for us. He had a, he had a message to share in these chapters that we're going to look at. 
So we see this great unfailing love that God had through his son Jesus Christ and that he had through his creatures. But we also see in this particular text that Christ gave us an example. And no, I'm not a big proponent of saying that this context of this text says that, you know what, we need to go and wash people's feet. And if we're, it's really about washing feet. And if we're not washing feet, then we're really, I think there's some, 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 some truth to that, but I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the context and the content exactly of what Jesus was trying to say here. But look at what he did do. In those days, they walked. People walked, okay? They didn't get in their vehicles and go to church in their air-conditioned vehicles and sit in their air-conditioned church. They walked. They walked long distances through dusty terrain. And so it was custom for the servants of the house that was welcoming people in to have a wash basin and to wash people's feet when they came. Can you imagine if you were just walking in, we'll call it sandals, and your feet would get pretty dusty, pretty dirty as you entered people's homes and you would need to clean their feet. But this wasn't done by the, by the Lord of the house. This wasn't done by the children of the house. This would have been done by not only just the servants, but, but reserved for the kind of the, the lowest of the servants in the house. And yet, what did Jesus do? He's thinking about, what am I, I going to teach these people? What am I going to teach them that they need to know? So Jesus is getting ready to sit for, for the meal. And he unrobes, takes off his outer garments, gets down to his undergarments. And he takes a bowl with water and he begins washing their feet. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who spoke into creation all that exists, the one who is the Word, humbled himself, stripped himself of his garments, got down on his hands and knees, and washed the disciples' feet. What an amazing picture of sacrifice, of devotion. Mark 10 says it like this. He says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did he come? He didn't want to be esteemed highly. He didn't want to just have everybody have to come up to his mountain to know him. He got off the mountain, if you will, and came down to us. He became of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. That's my king. That's what my king did. That's what my God did for me. And along that same point is this, my last point, that action is important. Action is important not because it makes us feel good. Good deeds aren't important because they make us feel good. That's not it at all. Action is important because the God of the universe himself demonstrated that action is important. Why do we serve why do we do what we do? One is to show that others, so that others can know him 
and love him. Wouldn't it be ridiculous in the book of James? Wouldn't it be ridiculous if we said, hey, I'm going to show you my faith by doing nothing. You know? I'm going to show you my faith by doing nothing. Man, I love you. Boy, I, you know, I really want the best for you. I'm not going to do anything for you. Didn't James kind of say, show me, you know, you say, show me your faith without works. But James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. It wasn't to bring people to James and to, to come to James's church. It was to bring people to Jesus Christ and to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, we, are not, we not only should serve, the God of the universe himself demonstrated that by service, others would know his love. Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Is your life filled with good deeds out of the outpouring of your heart of how he has changed you from the inside out? Do you do good deeds so that others may see them and glorify God in heaven? Because that's what my God did for me. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And by the way, that passage is not an individual passage. That passage is specifically talking to the church. In fact, if the church is good for anything, then it must be good for this. For its love and its good deeds. Our God showed us the ultimate sacrificial love, but he also gave us an example of how we should let people know of his great love. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. You know, sometimes people will tell their subordinates at work or their employees at work, go do this, go do that, go do that, without being willing to do the things that they ask them to do. Jesus could have done that. He could have done that, but he didn't. He could have very much been like King Louis in Versailles, making everybody climb the mountain to Versailles to come visit him. Uh-uh. He said he took the form of a bondservant and humbled himself and became obedient to death. What is he trying to teach us? Life's not about me, but about Jesus Christ. It's not about me, but about Jesus Christ. How many of us, I've, I've been guilty of this, but how many of us think that it's about us and that the world revolves around me? I'm in education. I see a lot of kids who think that the world revolves around them. They base their, uh, they base their worth on performance, you know, I'm the all-star athlete, I'm the all-star musician, I'm the all-star this or that, and that's where they get their worth. And they get it because people flock to them and want to follow them because of that. Boy, if, if we understood that we're to deflect that, if that comes to us, we're supposed to deflect that and place that on Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be a servant of Christ. Let not this life be about you, but about Jesus Christ. There's far too many consumers in this world and not enough contributors. Far too many consumers and not enough contributors. We have to break that in our children, don't we? <laughs> For those of us that have children, we have to break that in our children. They want, they want, they want, they want, they want. Because it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. But we have to teach them that it's not about you, but it's about your God. Show that we need to be made low to overcome our pride. I like the show Downton Abbey. 
I love that show. But if you watch Downton Abbey, I, I, I sit there and I'm, it's, it's, a, it's a British show uh, on PBS. It's about uh, a manor in the early 20th century. Um, the family is, is high-class elite and they have tons of servants serving them. But I look at that family, I look at that family and, and part of me says, what a waste. What an utter waste. Why in the world would, we, would, would there ever have been a time in history where we thought that it was all about me being served? In fact, it's that, that show goes to show you that Lord Grantham and Lady Grantham and their daughters and their children, they were dressed by their servants. They couldn't even dress themselves or wouldn't dress themselves because it was below them. And one of the young men that was going to marry Lady Mary... Um, came, and, and, on, and on Christmas Day and on New Year's Day, or New Year's Eve, they gave the servants their time off. And this guy that was going to marry Lady Mary said, Puh, well, can't they serve us today? How dare they not serve us today? And they have their own time to be by themselves. How dare they? In my house, when we get married, they will serve us on Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow. I mean, I know it's a TV show, but it, but it reflects, but it does reflect history. And I'm sitting there thinking, what a terrible, wasted life. Talk about the antithesis of what my God did through his son by emptying himself and becoming nothing and to wash dirty feet to show that he loved us and loved us through completion. So as we transition in, in a couple of minutes this morning, what a great opportunity that we're going to have. What a great opportunity we're going to have to do what our Lord and Savior taught us how to do, showed us how to do, and left us with one of his last words to serve others. Jesus commanded his beloved to serve by setting the example. He set the example. Again, I'd be skeptical if he didn't set the example, but he did. He didn't want to be served, but he wanted to serve others. Others will know we are believers by our actions. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word and tongue, but in action and in truth. That's a whole other message. Opportunity to be like Christ in our service to one another. We have the opportunity to be like Christ. If you're ever waiting for that moment to be like, God, what do you want me to do? Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life? I'll tell you, it's found right here. We have an opportunity to be as Christ by stepping out and serving others with the example that he left for us. I'm going to skip a quote by, by Mother Teresa, but in just a couple of minutes, after we take communion, we're going to head an opportunity to, to head to, to the ministry fair. There are tons of ministries at this place. This place doesn't exist without ministries. But some challenges I want to leave you with. I've never met anyone who stepped out of their comfort zone and said that was a disappointment. Have you? Have you ever met a missionary who's come back from the field of service after a number of years and said, that was a waste of time. I should have never done that. You know? I've met so many people who have left luxurious living lives and jobs that, that have counted the cost and they've said, you know what? I'm giving all of that up because I want to serve Jesus Christ. And I know that his calling for my life is to serve him and to serve others. We, we get, we get a, in the mistaken um, notion that the people who are in ministry, 
are, are, love it and want to keep doing it and want to keep doing it. And, wanna, and we almost, in the church, we beat them to death. We, we allow them to stay, right? We, just, we, we allow them to stay in that ministry position year in and year out. So that person whose children has gradu- have graduated from Awana 20 years ago, they're still the Awana leader. Why? Because we want to give them that opportunity to continue in that ministry. Well, have you ever thought about how God may want you personally to step in and say, you know what? I have talents and gifts that God has given me. It might be a good idea for me to think about how I may serve. And I'll tell you this much. Serving together is a whole lot easier than serving by yourself. If you Think about if you were audacious enough to go to your friend and say, you know what, this sounds crazy, but I've been praying about it, and um, would you consider doing children's ministry with me? Would you consider working Awana with me? Would you consider getting involved in a Bible study with me? Would you consider... It's audacious. It's out of the comfort zone, but it's worth it. Here's how ministry works a lot. I think I skipped over it. Can you go back? Well, it's okay. Church ministry and service is a lot like a football game. You got 75,000 screaming fans who are in desperate need of exercise. (laughs) While 22 people on that field are extremely exhausted, wanting a breather and wanting a breath. And while all those fans desperately need the exercise are cheering everybody on, those 22 on, they need a break. And Cornerstone, Creekside, sorry, Creekside Church, will only be effective when every member is ministering, right? One of the tenets and framework on our vision framework is that the goal when we know we'll be successful is when we have every member ministry. I used to think that serve, I, I did, when I was first in Christ, I used to think that service was about me and it made me feel good. And at the end of the day, man, I put in my time, I'm done. But you know what? Because of passages like John 13, I've, I've changed my tune. I've changed that a bit because it's not about me. It's not about what I gain. It's not about my reward. It's about advancing the name of Jesus. And how do you do that? You do that in action and in truth. You expose those good deeds so that others may see them and glorify God in heaven. You don't do that by saying, I'll show you my faith without my works. Love you. Yep. You know, no, that's not how it works. Please consider. Please consider how you can use your gifts and your talents to maybe relieve somebody of their ministry that they've been doing for so many years, to maybe come alongside of somebody who needs some ministry encouragement, to be one of those every member ministers at Creekside Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. Father, we thank you that we can magnify and exalt and extol your holy and precious name. But Father, we can't do that effectively if we're not ministering together, if we're not laboring for you. And Father, you gave us the ultimate example. First, or one example, was washing the disciples' feet by becoming as lowly as lowly could be so that you showed, could show us that we are your chosen and that you set the example for us. And then ultimately, Father, you shed your blood at the cross of Calvary so that we may have life and have it abundantly with you. Father, we wanna make you famous and we're gonna do that when we serve you faithfully and wholeheartedly. Father, as we take this communion, this bread and this cup, 
Would you be honored? Would you be glorified? Would you receive our thanksgiving and our gratitude for what you did on the cross at Calvary for us? And we're so grateful. This is our offering that we give to you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the body that was broken for us. In your son's name, amen. You're going to be singing his praises for 10,000 years and then forevermore. Don't you want to see other people sing his praises for 10,000 years and forevermore? One of the ways, amen, praise the Lord. You can give a clap, that's fine. Amen. Here's what was important to my Lord. Here's what's important for me. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My king emptied himself. I can empty myself for him. Just a minute, we're going to dismiss to the ministry fair. Please don't leave until you personally have an opportunity to see what God is doing here at Creekside Church. Please don't leave before you have an opportunity to talk with the folks who have been involved in ministry in these various capacities. And by the way, if you have other ministry ideas, please bring those up. Please bring those up. We want to be an every member ministry church. So please take a moment on your way out to walk in the, in the back room, in, in, in the cafeteria or whatever room it is, foyer, and, uh, and, and sign up for ministry. Be blessed and bless his name. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for loving us and being obedient to the point of death on a cross. Thank you for serving. Thank you for giving us the ultimate example. Thank you for teaching us that it's not about me, but it's about you. And thank you that you were even willing to submit to the Father's will and to be crushed and bruised so that we may have eternal life. Father, help this ministry at Creekside Church to be pleasing and glorifying to you. And that's going to be because we are every member ministers who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ. We pray this in your son's name and all God's children said, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.